The Eco Right Speaks podcast is your conservative home for weekly climate news, interviews, points of view, climate heroes, jesters, and so much more. We'll share the stories of people leading in their local communities and around the country. Welcome to the Eco Right Speaks podcast. It's brought to you by RepublicEN.org. Hello, and welcome to the Eco Right Speaks, your climate focused podcast produced by the team at RepublicEN.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Henderson, still relishing the thrill of fulfilling a lifelong dream last night of seeing Paul McCartney live in concert. Listeners, it was the balm my soul needed, as was talking to today's guest. Author Heather White and I go way back, having overlapped both in the U.S. Senate, where our bosses frequently sought each other out from across the aisle to work on issues, to later at the National Wildlife Federation. Heather, in a word, is a changemaker. She's an environmental lawyer, writer, consultant, motivational speaker, nonprofit executive, and, as mentioned, a former Senate staffer. She has more than 20 years of experience in nonprofit management and policy advocacy. She's the former president of Yellowstone Forever, the nonprofit partner to Yellowstone National Park, executive director of the Environmental Working Group, and director of education advocacy at the National Wildlife Federation. Heather was also, back in our day in the Senate together, the Energy and Environment Counsel to U.S. Senator Russ Feingold from Wisconsin. And once upon a time, she was also an associate at Bass, Berry, and Sims Law Firm. Heather is the author of the recently released book that I encourage you all to get, One Green Thing, Discover Your Hidden Power to Save the Planet. She and I are going to talk about this book in depth. So what is your service superpower? Stay tuned to find out. Listeners, welcome back. I'm so happy, you can hear it in my voice, to be here in conversation today with my old friend, Heather White. Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Chelsea. It's a pleasure to be here. Heather, I was thinking back, of course, as one does before our conversation about when we worked together on various projects years ago. And there is definitely a time in our lives when we talked every day. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Whether it's whether it was, you know, climate legislation or core reform, yep. or Clean Water Act, you name it. We, um, we were talking every day for we sure. We were talking every day. And at that point, I remember when you were pregnant with your kids and now they're all grown up and my kids are all grown up. And here we are just finding our ways to keep on um working in this industry, which is hard. The environmental community trying to make environmental change is hard, as we both know. But you have found a a spark, to use a word from your book that we're going to get to in a second, um, found a way to really take the movement and help people find their position in it. So talk to us about One Green Thing, how you got the the spark again for this book idea, and, um, and, and just a little bit about that. Oh, thank you so much, Chelsea. And I have such fond memories working with you. Like we, with so many war stories stories. (laughs) that we have working on, (laughs) working on the Hill. And it was such a great experience to do that. And, you know, I'm a, I'm an environmental lawyer. That's my background is law. And so I think those of us who are in law and policy, we love to write, right? We love to research. So writing is something that I'd always been thinking about, but it was actually a conversation with my kids that prompted me to really take this book idea seriously. Um, My younger daughter, it was 2019. She was a freshman at Bozeman High School. I live in Bozeman, Montana, and she wanted to participate in the Greta Thunberg inspired climate strike. And Chelsea, as you know, you know, 
um, protesting is not really my thing. Like I'm a lawyer. Like I believe in your first amendment, right. I'll do whatever you need. Yeah. But, um, but I was, I said to her, of course, you know, you have my permission to participate in the strike. But I um, said to her, you know what, it's supposed to rain and we don't have a lot of thunderstorms in, in Bozeman and you have a heavy backpack and a trumpet. So why don't I just pick you up and I'll drive you to the protest. <laughs> I'm just going to dump some carbon dioxide into the atmosphere on the way to the carbon. Oh yeah. And, and Chelsea, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that did not go over well with my teenager because I mean, first of all, like, you know, I didn't really know a whole lot about walkouts, but she was like, mom, it's a walkout, like having my parents waiting for me, like not cool. <laughs> and secondly, it's a climate strike and you're going to drive. Like, what are you talking, you know, what are you talking about? And, and she got really upset and and my younger daughter was there too. She was in the seventh grade at the time, but they, they were like, you know, where are the baby boomers? Where's Gen X? Where are millennials? Yeah. You can't yeah. leave this all on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I realized in that conversation, and as you know, I've been doing this for 20 plus years. My yes. husband also, he does grizzly bear conservation. I mean, this is our livelihood, yes. our life's work. And we, we hadn't really talked about it at the dinner table. Like our kids weren't connecting what we yeah. did with the climate crisis. And I realized two things. One, I needed to create an invitation for more people to get involved in this movement. And that's what Mm -hmm. this book really is. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is that I wanted to dive into the mental health impacts of the climate crisis, especially how it impacts young people. And so that's, that's the spark of one green thing, this idea of people taking daily action, a daily practice of sustainability in order to shift the culture for the big policy solutions we need. And we had Renee Lertzman on in season three listeners. You might want to go back and check Renee out. If you didn't listen, she talked a lot about eco-anxiety and, and how important it is to have something to anchor you to not make you feel so despondent. Because if you try to take the whole problem onto your shoulders, especially young shoulders or older shoulders, like that are getting tired it's overwhelming. And then you end up being frozen into inaction. So having those things that you can do that provide meaning and value are so important. So tell me, how did you, so listeners, one green thing, I'm holding it up. Like you can see it, go get your copy. If you don't already, (laughs) you list these, is it seven different, um, is it seven archetypes? Seven. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how did you come up with the different profiles? So there's seven service superpower profiles, listeners, and there's no quiz. I love a quiz. So how did you come up with these different categories? Because I found them, they, it's so true. As I was reading it, I just felt really connected to each one. And I could identify somebody in my life who's each one of these. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Chelsea. That's awesome. What a great question. Well, I realized that many people, like the majority, the majority of Americans, the majority of people around the world want to get involved in climate action, but they don't know where to start because it's overwhelming. Right. And I started thinking about how climate action really is about leadership. Mm-hmm. And I thought about Enneagram. I thought about Myers-Briggs. I thought about all these different assessments that I've taken. And I do have one on my website, onegreenthing.org, where you can mm-hmm. take an assessment. Oh, but okay. in the book, I thought yeah. it was important to just outline all yeah. these different profiles. And I started thinking about, in my experience, the different types of people that I had worked with in, in service leadership, particularly environmental service. And I came up with these seven archetypes and I'm happy to go through them one by one. Chelsea, you just interrupt if I'm like taking too long. No, um, no, no, go ahead. But, but the first is the adventurer. This is the person who's a hands-on learner, a risk, Mm -hmm. risk taker. Mm -hmm. They can't really sit still. They're usually highly creative. So the adventurer type I've, especially when I did, and we worked together at national wildlife Federation and environmental education. A lot of environmental educators fit that type and that profile. Mm -hmm. Um, The second is the beacon. And this is the person who's so focused on speaking truth to power 
and yeah. justice. They're the yeah. ones who are totally comfortable at the podium mm-hmm. with a bullhorn in front of a crowd. And they're really important because they're visionaries and they can, they're, they're not afraid of being alone. They can really help us drive the movement forward. My, my teenage daughter, my older daughter. I was just going to say your daughter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, and then the third is the influencer mm-hmm. and the influencer is people, people, people. That's mm-hmm. the most important part of how they operate. And they're important because they can make these connections and think outside of the box in a way that many people can't. And that's really important. Right. Then there's the philanthropist, which is a really big name. And a lot of people think about the monopoly guy, you know, with the monocle, (laughs) but the philanthropist is the giver. This is the person who loves to volunteer, donate time, donate resources. And without the philanthropist, we don't have the resources, people or, or the financial resources in order to make a movement work. And then there is the sage, which I think a lot of your listeners are probably kind of fall in this category. And the sage is focused on the spiritual connection between the environment and conservation. And it's a moral and ethical duty to protect what we have for future generations. And they're really important because they can bridge the political divide. If you start talking about those values that we all share in common, if we think about long-term cathedral thinking, the sage has a very important role. And then there's the spark, which is what my younger daughter is. And the spark, um, and a lot of people who read this book are thrilled to see this profile. The spark is the plus one. It might be someone who doesn't even consider themselves an environmentalist. But if Chelsea, if you're like, hey, do you want to go see this nature documentary with me? The friend that says, sure, I'm in. That's a spark. And without a spark, there isn't a movement. And then finally, there's the wonk. And the wonk is like a lot of our colleagues on Capitol Hill Mm -hmm. is the person who's all focused on the solutions, the data, the science, and communicates that in a way that other people can understand. So I came up with those just based on my personal experience and doing a lot of research in, in activism and moving legislation. And I thought that those were powerful ways for people to start to see themselves in this movement based on their strengths in service to others. So um, tell our listeners what you are. I am a hybrid. I'm a philanthropist wonk. And the philanthropist part is that I just, I love, I love service. I love giving. <laughs> That's kind of my love language is, is giving and it's, it's words and it's active service and, and giving. And then the wonk part is just, I yeah. love talking about those solutions. So yeah. That's what I am. And how about you? So, I think you're an influencer walk. I'm going to bet you're an okay. influencer walk. I, I am definitely influencer as the first. And I was thinking spark, influencer spark, but I'm probably like influencer spark wonk. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. a lot of what I do has been, oh yeah, I'm going to go with Corey Westbrook, our friend <laughs> to this <laughs> event, or I'm going to do this thing. And, and so anyway, I, there was, I found something almost in each one of these that I identified with, but when I read the influencer, I even started in my book. I was like, okay, that's, that's who I am. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think that the I word has a little bit of a negative connotation when we think of it in a social media context, but, um, but we need these people in our lives. Y'all need more of me in your life for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we do. It's true. It's so true. I love what you said about the sage though. And, and I wanted to, because, um, to pull a quote, I pulled a quote from your book, um, that I thought we could talk about a little too. So um, this was in reference to your story about um, hiking Mount Kilimanjaro and you guys were the slow and steady wins the race team, but there was another um, group of people that were, you know, go-getters and get, they were going to get up that mountain and they just thought you all were so slow. And of course we know how this uh, fable ends the uh, slow and steady wins the race. You guys made it to the top. The other team didn't, but the quote from the book is if you're not doing it our way, you're doing it wrong. And we see that sentiment a lot in the work that we do. And I felt like that would probably resonate with some of our listeners, because if you identify as being right of center, 
often you are just immediately portrayed as being against climate action. And sometimes it's just you prefer a different form of climate action. So maybe it's not regulation, maybe it's the carbon tax or, um, so I thought that that was a really, um, um, to me, that was just a big dot connector. And I'm wondering what sort of message you might have for people who encounter this kind of resistance. I think it's important for us all to, to, for, for three things. First, everyone is welcome and everyone is needed in this movement. Mm -hmm. Everyone is welcome and everyone is needed in this movement is so important. The second thing is that there's no such thing as perfection. It's yeah. all about progress. A lot of people get stymied, not only like you're, if you're doing it our way, you're doing it wrong. Like you can't be an environmentalist if you own Ziploc bags. Right. You know, you can't be an environmentalist if you are wearing something that you got at Target, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not a sustainable brand. And the right. fact is, of course, you can be an environmentalist. You yeah. know, we live in the society we live in. We try to make the best choices as we can. It's not a puritanical way of life. We do what Mm -hmm. we can. And of course we need the big cultural policy and market solutions to work. And then I think the third thing is that you don't need a PhD in anything to be part of this movement. So, so what I like, this really is an invitation, no matter where you are on the political spectrum (laughs) to get involved in the way that works for you. So like what I, I talk about the carbon tax, I talk about cap and trade. I talk about build back better. I talk about Mm -hmm. all these policy options, but I, Heather White, don't say Chelsea, this is the right path for you. Right. I say, right. Chelsea, who are you? Yeah. What do you value? What are your strengths? How do you show up with others? Here's some ideas for a daily practice of sustainability mm-hmm. for you, because you do matter as much as we need these big policy market solutions. We all know that to get the, you know, get the changes that we need and to maintain the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming that we're our target. We know we need that, but that doesn't happen unless we have individuals acting every right. day. And you're an important driver of culture change. I have these friends who every year, um, a resolution, so to speak, they pick one new thing that they're going to do to be a little more sustainable. And then it becomes a practice and they don't drop it at the end of the year. They just pick up a new one. And you talked about this in reference to brushing your teeth, right? We all just do it as a habit. We know when we wake up, we have to brush our teeth and we go to bed, we brush our teeth and maybe sometime in between as well. And so, for example, one year they decided that they weren't going to do any more takeout containers. So if they go to a restaurant, they go out to eat, they have leftovers to bring home. They bring their own Tupperware to the restaurant to take home their leftovers in that. And so that was just became their thing that, you know, they they wanted to reduce the amount of plastic that they were single use plastic they were bringing into their home. And I always felt like this is such a, um, you know, not that it's easy and they're definitely times I'm sure that they left for the restaurant and forgot their Tupperware. And then you feel like you have to eat your whole dinner maybe, but, um, you know, I think it's going easy on ourselves to some extent it's urgent. We need to address climate change, but you can't beat yourself up if you buy a shirt and then realize, oh, maybe this isn't the most sustainable fabric in the world, but maybe you love it and you're going to wear it every day. You're going to wear it until it wears out. Um, we have to find those ways that we can make a difference and maintain a sense of sanity and also some optimism. Absolutely. And that's just the crux of the book right there is to have that optimism. And the optimism comes from, from the intention. The intention, it does matter in this context because we're trying to move the needle on the culture because with that culture shift is when we can see the, politicals, mm-hmm. the, the, the political situation shift. And that happens with trying every day. And your one green thing can be as simple as taking a walk in nature. I mean, all yeah. the peer reviewed literature says it's time outside 
you know, if yes. by, by age 11, by age 11, if you have a significant outdoor experience with a mentor, you're more likely to have a lifelong conservation ethic. So taking someone you love outside counts yeah. as a one green thing. It can be calling your member of Congress and yeah. it can be making a more sustainable choice. But I think this idea of you're not doing it right, the perfectionism, you have to be an expert to get involved, is completely false. And we have to, as environmentalists, really beat back on that and say, we need you. We need everyone. We need everyone's best thinking. We need everybody's talents. We need everybody's creativity in order to solve this existential threat that we have. We now continue on the Eco Right Speaks podcast. Visit republicen.org online to sign up and stand with us. So you said the word see, and that reminded me of your um, visualization exercise where you imagine what 2030 would look like. And it took a moment for me to realize that 2030 is eight years away. So we're so programmed with bill language, having written climate change bills and stuff. It was 2030, 2040, 2050 were these markers that just felt so far into the future, but the future is here. Um, so I just thought that was a little funny. I was like, 2030, that's like tomorrow. <laughs> Chelsea, it's so true. It is tomorrow, but we have the technology and we know that we have the technology to solve this crisis. But one of the things we need to do as people in the environmental movement need to do is that we need to make sure we're painting a picture of what's possible and how exciting this sustainable regenerative future can be. Yeah. You know, whether it's regenerative agriculture and talking about soil health, whether it's green buildings, green design, there's so many incredible opportunities, the clean energy economy. Yeah. We can build something that we can be proud of. And one of the exercises that that I love and that I'm proud of in the book too is this idea of being a good ancestor. Yes. And thinking about, uh, or thinking beyond your age is what I call it. That's the chapters. Think beyond your age. This yeah. idea of reflecting on someone who's created an incredible opportunity for you that's no longer mm -hmm. on this planet. Mm -hmm. And then fast forwarding and thinking about meeting with a teenager that you're related to and what will they thank you for? What opportunities have you created to them for them? And I think that we have an incredible opportunity. It's not just fighting back something that's so scary but it's also creating something beautiful. Yeah. And we need to talk more about what that can look like. Well, I got a little tear in my eye at the good ancestor part because both of my kids say that unless climate change is being addressed, they don't want to have kids. And so I was sort of looking at it from that feeling of loss, right? That if my children are going to, my now adult, both <laughs> I've um, successfully ushered two children into adulthood, yay. Um, but if they are making such a lifelong decision based on this external force, you know, that was really sad for me. And, and also made me just feel more intently that we do need to succeed. And we only succeed when we work together. Chelsea, um, that is such an important point. And I want you to know that your sons aren't alone. There was a survey in September, 2021 of 10,000 young people ages 16 through 25. It was a global survey one out of four do not want to have children because they're so worried about climate change. And it also said that climate anxiety or eco-anxiety yeah. interferes with the daily life of 47%. So almost half of those young people yeah. that we're connected to. So I think it's important for us to make space and listen to young people, yeah. but also make sure we tell them stories 
of resilience of like the amazing change and progress that we've seen in the environmental arena. We've yes. seen incredible, like, for example, my husband works on grizzly bears, you know, we've recovered grizzly bears. There's right. been bison, you know, there's all these amazing stories that we have a positive change that we haven't necessarily shared with them to give them hope. And also to let them know that they're not alone, that yes. we're all, we are committed to working together, to working across the aisle and finding the solutions that can create an incredible future for them. And we haven't done a good job of that, Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. The- <laughs> we, you know, despite our personal best efforts, our culture yeah. has not shown children that we value them and value their future. I know that's hard. Um, well, when you mentioned the words regenerative agriculture, we just had somebody on the show talk about this and it has really, um, just had me very focused on my own gardening. So again, trying to take these issues that are such a big scale, there are things you can do at home in your own communities, green, you know, whether it's one or 10 green things. So it made me think of, um, this group that my friend and I started a few years ago, we call it the Chevrolet Native Planting Project. We live in Chevrolet and it was an idea seriously born out of sitting on her porch one night, drinking some rosé on a hot summer day (laughs) and thinking, wouldn't it be great if all of the town's public spaces had native plants instead of invasive plants planted? And then we just got together and started this group and our initial seed money came from signing people up for community solar. So anyone who signed up to do community solar, um, as part of their utility bill, got, we got a little, you know, little Kickstarter money from the solar company for helping sign people up. And that allowed us to go out. We got matching grants and so forth to buy plants that we could plant now in these public spaces. And it's just grown. So it's grown into an education, um, network. So we talk to each other about what to do in your own lawns. I have personally taken on mosquito spraying listeners. If you're a mosquito Joe customer, think again, message me. I'll talk to you about the truth behind mosquito spraying. And, you know, to the point where we were fighting with our town council and mayor, and I got a whole bunch of people to um, file to be exempt from spraying. And once a number of houses won't do it, then the state won't send the trucks because it's not considered effective. The state did not send the trucks and it was not in our town's budget this year. So I felt like that was a success, but it was something that just, it was a moment of what we do this. Why would we do this? We call ourselves a green community and this doesn't feel green. So listeners, you can find your thing to do. It doesn't have to be I need to go lobby on the farm bill to make sure there's more opportunity for large scale regenerative agriculture or go lobby on build back better or whatever clean tax credit or the carbon tax. You can do these things in your community that will make a difference. And I think when you've seen the accomplishment happen at the smaller scale, it makes it easier to envision building that out into something bigger. Amen, Chelsea. And what a beautiful story, because I talk about the importance of community connection. I think post-pandemic, you know, we've lost a lot of our community connections and the things that we would normally see people on the weekends at different sporting events or, you know, um, the different, you know, religious services, you name it, out in the community. And we you know, we're now finally kind of getting back into that, but we've lost that. And that's really important to see the changes, the one green thing on a community scale to give you hope. And also for your kids to see that example of how you can affect change, but that also one community does this and then another community follows. And that's when you see the cultural change transform into the political change. And that's so important. And we have had neighboring towns want to meet with us and talk about what we did, how we got started 
and, you know, we're still very tiny. So that's exciting too, to see that, that, you know, people want to feel that sense of purpose. And so it, it makes me feel better, you know, for all that we do. I know we give at the office and then we're also giving in yes. our free time too. And that's important. But you're giving in your backyard, like your yeah. backyard. And I think it also is a great example of, you know, all politics being local, but at some point you can break through the rancor because when you're working on this project, people aren't asking what's your party affiliation. They right. want to talk about native plants right. and different community gardens and yes. to not do the mosquito spraying. So right. I think that's important because so many people feel so polarized yeah. um, and judged you know, no matter what side of the the political aisle you are on. And I think it's important when we have these great examples of community action that it doesn't actually really matter, right? right? When you have those core values that you can rally around. So this is um, um, spreading out our vision across a little bit larger swath in a community. But I just read that right now, 100 million Americans are under a heat advisory. Yes, and that is, you know, we are all a community together. I mean, we are having one here. Um, it's insane. It's so warm that in my house, even with central AC, I'm sweating. Um, so that to me, I, I, I've been really paying attention to stats, like how many people have experienced a heat wave? How many people have experienced a hurricane? I mean, you and I were both um, working on Hurricane Katrina a million years ago, and I think we thought that was going to be the event, the turning point. Mm -hmm. Yep. And here we are. It has not really changed anything except they have better levees now in uh, New Orleans. But, um, you know, there is a way to feel connected and to feel community with people who aren't living exactly in your, um, in your neighborhood. Yes. And I think, I think with this, like all every in the next prop, I would say the next two years, Mm-hmm. everyone listening will have a direct experience with extreme weather related to climate yeah. change. If they haven't already, yeah. I live in Montana and wildfire season is um, the most active than it's been in 2000 years, according to fire ecologists at the university of Montana. I have a go kit. I'm ready. If we have to evacuate, I have friends in Boulder who've evacuated twice once right before Christmas, once, you know, after the, the winter holidays, um, to be able to, to evacuate and have forest fires during that time of year is um, unheard of for that experience. So not to mention Hurricane Ida, people who yeah. drowned in their basement yeah. apartments because of flooding. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have these experiences. So the community is important, literally. And I write about this in the book about having a go kit, which of course the Red Cross has been talking about for 50 years, the yeah. importance of that, but knowing your neighbors in the event of an emergency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then also at the national and international level, understanding that the people who are going to be harmed the most are the people who have the least amount of resources yeah. and mostly they're members of the BIPOC community, yeah. you know, whether it's redlining and you don't have tree coverage, whether it be the flood flood zone that you're in, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of challenges have a car, you know, or don't have, have access to AC yeah, or, yeah. Or heating, you know, it's just, or don't have a car. Exactly. So yeah. there's just, there's a, a real need for compassion. And I talk about that too. In the book, one of the chapters is entitled, no, you can't go it alone. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so much of what your work is Chelsea as an influencer oh, spark <laughs> is to bring people together, yeah. you know, connect the dots, connect people that may think they don't have a lot in common and show them. Yeah, we do have that compassion like that compassion we share, that community connection, 
we have that in common and we can work together to do great things, whether it's putting more native plants in public spaces and community gardens, or it's passing really important legislation to deal with the climate crisis. We can do it. We can do it. Listeners, get yourself a copy of One Green Thing. What's the website again, Heather? Is it onegreenthing.org? Onegreenthing.org. Yes. Um, I, if you listen and you take the, the, the quiz on the website or just do the reading and figure out what you are, I want to know. So let us know and I'll let Heather know. I'm sure you want to know what different combinations of people are out there. Um, and I'm curious to see if we have a lot of sages among our listeners. I do. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think sages and wonks. I mean, I think, I think yeah. that's, what's so important <laughs> is that everyone has a role. Everyone is welcome. Everyone is a needed in the way that works for you. And I, when people ask me about this book, I say it's a self-help book for the environment. It's really kind of a, a guide and a workbook of how do you want to show up for what I call our future Uh, I call them future loved ones. Like when we're the ancestor, how do we want to show up for our future loved ones? And I think it's a, it's a great call to action, but also I think it connects so well with your message and all of your amazing work. All right. Thanks to Heather White for joining us there in that last segment with our podcast host, Chelsea Henderson, who will be back next week with another episode, episode 19 coming up on tap for you guys next week again don't forget you can listen to the eco right speaks podcast on apple podcast spotify and you also go to our website republican.org forward slash podcast a myriad of ways where you can listen to episodes that debut every tuesday a new episode every tuesday we will be taking a break here coming up in in the month of july but we'll be back and starting up later in the month uh, and get you going with a bunch of new episodes as we begin season five again thanks to heather white uh, author of one green thing for joining us this week on this week's episode we'll have a lot more for you next week including we'll tease our guest well, we won't tease our guests because Chelsea's not here to do it. But I do want to thank some of our new members who have signed up with us. Shout-outs to Luke M. in Indiana, Samantha D. in Indiana, Robert L. in Florida, Kevin T. in Vermont, and then Rebecca H. in South Carolina. So appreciate you all new who are standing with us, even those that I did not mention right there, which you can sign up. We'd love to have you stand with us at republican.org forward slash join. It takes all mere seconds to sign up. We'd love to have you standing with us, especially if you are a conservative. We need you. There's a power in numbers, and we would love to have you stand with us at republican.org forward slash join. Again, I'm Price Atkinson. Chelsea will be back with me again next week as we wrap this thing up. But want to uh, say thank you again to all our listeners who make this podcast possible with your uh, downloading, listening, subscribing, and the feedback that you give us uh, via email. Anything that you've got, good, bad, guest suggestions, topics, we want to hear from you. You can drop Chelsea a line at Chelsea at Republican.org or myself, Price at Republican.org a line. So until next week, we will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Eco Right Speaks podcast brought to you by the team at RepublicEN.org. Make sure to visit RepublicEN.org to learn more and find out how you can be a local eco-right leader.